no ultra runner I've ever met is like one tenth as tough as just like the average musher. Because like these people are out there for days and days and days and they are only eating like super weird food and they're taking such amazing care of their animals and they're like not sleeping for days. Like anything, like these people would look at Courtney DeWalter and be like, oh yeah, that's cool. But like I do that when it's, you know, 35 below. So. Tato. That was Zoe Rome. I'm Matt Raymond. I'm Eugene Bingham. And this is Dirt Church Radio. Interesting conversations with interesting runners. Hot news. Hot news coming. Can't say it yet. Wild challenges. Can't say it. Well, we can talk about wild challenges, though. Can we? You've got to give something. Yeah. You've got to give some tease. Yeah. Yeah, some enticement. Some, yeah. What are you thinking? I have no idea. What they could be. Mel's promising something. Yeah, so. Challenge is coming soon. Wild Things sponsor Dirt Church Radio fantastically well. Well, they do it really cleverly because they do it in a way that they get something. Yes. We get something. Yes. But listeners, you get something as well. You get something. Because if you use the code DCR 2020, you get 15 months as a VIP member for the price of 12, Mm -hmm. which gives you access to a bunch of stuff. uh, Such as. uh, Bunch of stuff, Ganal Factor stuff. Ganal Factor trail directory. Um, mm-hmm. The shop's pretty impressive. Shop's pretty impressive. Get good discounts, but you can get in the draw for heaps of entries. Yeah, uh, and yeah, coming soon. Some news about wild challenges. Too. And you know, regardless, I actually went on to uh, Wild Things today mm-hmm. on the Book of Faces and. Mm-hmm. Um, Spread some right-wing propaganda. No, actually, I was asking a question about a headlamp, but what I was doing, what happened was, um, it's just the community's awesome. Yeah. Like, you can ask yeah. any question, That's the thing. and you're going to get a variety of very helpful answers yeah. very quick, very quickly. And heaps of people used that code last month. That's awesome. It's great. So DCR2020 at mm-hmm. wildthings.club. Dot club. Dot yeah. NZ. No, just dot club. Jeez. Yeah. And listen out for news about wild challenges. Wild challenges. Yeah. That's what we do. We chip away at things. These ads take us hours. This is the, the and you mm. need to know that this is the cream of the crop, people. Let's take forty-seven. Scott shoes carry us over hill and dale. They are comfortable and hard wearing. And I mean, I get about a thousand k a mm. like, and legit. I don't I'm care if other people k. don't. I get about a thousand k a pair, mm. um, which is good value. And I get my little Strava alert things going. Time for yeah, new, time yeah, for new yeah, shoes. Yeah, get yeah, new yeah. shoes. Get new yeah, shoes. Yeah, Please yeah, get new shoes. Yeah. yeah, but they're fantastic. So we're running in the Kinabulu Ultra RC at the moment. And I really like the Super Track Ultra. That's what I wore on the weekend. That's what Saywon wore on the weekend. Um, stick like glue to anything, durable, and just a good time. Really looking forward to going to Kepler and using the Scott Kinabulu RC. I know that there's some new stock coming in, you know, with all of the, everything's been happening in the world. I think Grant's been a little bit low on stock, but he's getting an inrush. Got containers. He's getting a containers yellow and arriving. black wave. Mm. It's going to arrive. And if you go to Scott Running, dot nz you know, hook, get hooked up with all the goodness scott shoes proud sponsors of dirt church radio is he going to be down at kepler he's going to be down at kepler with a shop with a shop who else is going to be there rocky's going to be there mal's going to be there oh we're going to be there so you're going to get you're going to get scott we've got a shop running. down there right we're, we're going to have some stuff down there we might we're going to have, have some, some merch down there. down there but you're going to get yeah. you're going to get scott you're going to get ultra spy you're going to get further faster Chalboy. what Chalboy. Jalbo, yep. The yeah. sunglasses you're going to get. Somebody banging a microphone. Banging a microphone. You're going to get wild things and you're going to get us there doing our live show and we're going to have a fantastic panel. Uh, there's going to be some amazing elite runners there. It's at 4.30 at the Fjordland. I've just banged the mic to it. The Fjordland Recreation Centre. And for those of you listening from overseas for the first time, yes, the ads are always this terrible. Anyway, if you go to keplerchallenge.co.nz to get really jealous about the fact that this is an amazing mountain race that we're going to have. Mm-hmm. It'll go something like further, faster, there in Christchurch. Rocky is hairy and so is Badger. Jules is nice and Jack is delicious. Go further, faster now. Go further, faster, there in Christchurch. Rocky is hairy and so is Badger. Jules is nice and Jack is delicious. Go further, faster now. Dirt Church Radio. 
point of order, Eugene. The noise reduction is really good, but it's not good enough to take our voices out. Episode 118. We made it. We did. We did. We made it out for a run together. We did. That was cool. It was really cool. It was yeah. superb. Mm. And lots more racing happened and lots. It, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a week. Summer is coming. Yeah. Summer is looking out your window at a beautiful sunset. Yep. Over the estuary. Just fantastic. Mm, mm. What have so, you been up to this week? We, we split, didn't we? The, yeah. The slightly shabby Dirt Church radio robot broke off into its component parts. And we had another time zone uh, mix-up. Right. Where, so we spoke to Zoe Rome this week. She's editor of Trail Runner magazine based in Colorado. And we were supposed to speak to her a couple of weeks ago. Yes. And we had a delay. Yes. And I just said, same time next week. Yeah, no worries. So that was cool. And about half an hour before we were supposed to talk, I went, I don't know why, but I went, is daylight saving changed in Colorado? Right. Summertime changed. And so I checked and sure enough. uh, So yeah, I messed that up. But um, but luckily I called it beforehand and then blah, 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 blah. Anyway, we got there. So it was a great chat. And so she recently set an FKT on one of those 14er peaks. and it's one that you have to see. I've seen the photo. Yeah. <laughs> Holy moly. Um, incredible. And she also hosts a podcast about failure. It's called DNF and it's one you should check out. Fantastic. But listen to this week's episode first, of course. Oh, Do that. It's, yeah. uh, I saw, I mean, we'll, we'll put a photo up on the show notes but uh, and on the Instagram and everything, but the uh, that's quite a ridgeline. The knife. The knife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, how have you been, man? Oh, man, it's been a, you know, as I said before, it's been a long week for a number of reasons, right? Um, But overall, I'm loving the process of training and just, like you said, it's getting warmer. I'm super excited to travel to Kepler Mm. Um, and also really heartened by the boost that running with others has given me this weekend. I mean, we Mm. haven't had a group run since August. Yeah. And I know in the global context, that's actually really, it's just a couple of months, right? Like there are some people who've been inside since March, but... Um, yeah, holy heck, it felt really good. Yeah. And what about you? Yeah, yeah, it's been good. I've, I've been enjoying um, getting back into some structured training. I've been learning how to run to heart rate, mm. which I've never done before. <laughs> well, apart from once. But anyway, I've never done it properly before, and it's been really interesting. Yeah. Um, we were running up Barlow Road. Yes. Um, I was following, and, and Matt is super fit at the moment, and so oh. he takes off. And, of course, my instinct is to go with you. Oh, I see. And right. I, but I'm looking at my watch looking going, watch. oh, man, I've got to stay in zone two. I've got to stay in zone two here. Yeah. Um, which is it's interesting. And I'm quite looking – I'm quite enjoying the challenge of it um, and um, seeing if it yields results. So, yeah, really looking forward to get down to Kepler. I've made a decision. Yes. And the committee oh, you have, yes. It. Yes, yes. So I'm not going to do the sixth the Kepler. No. I'm. I was going to say only, but I won't say only. Don't say only because no, it's a. I'm it's, doing the Luxmore Grunt, so I'll be doing the Grunt, and then I'll be there at the finish line to cheer you in. Fant- I, I mean, as long as I make it back in time, of course, because you're going so fast. <laughs> oh, God, don't, don't say that. Uh, but the the thing with it, I mean, yeah, it's going to be suck not to run with you, but I'm glad you're not going to destroy yourself because we've got yeah. some other stuff on yeah. on the go, and you need to kind of look after. Yeah, yourself. that's right. It was like I, I sort of was just sort of. You know, should I do this? I could do it, but probably not be very well afterwards. Yeah, so I'm that's the thing. Going to do the grunt, which so. you know we did it last year, and um, that I felt sick, physically sick, after coming down off that that hill. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you don't take it lightly, do you? No. Radio. Um, I've got a bit of a formal announcement. Okay, go. Um, I need everyone to kind of listen to this, but I've gone back through all my races and it turns out that I actually won convincingly. If only they'd counted the legal runners. I mean, sure, I finished in the middle of the pack and most of them, but frankly, I was robbed of the rightful result. There was that time I was near the front of the field in the Rotorua Marathon. I mean, you know, the race hadn't actually started yet and I had fought my way to stand on the actual starting line ahead of everyone, but I believe they should have stopped the race right then. And I would have won convincingly. I'm going to go to court to have those incredible victories, which are the greatest, declared legitimate. And I also declare, I'd like to state that I am the world trail champion for 2021. 
the race hasn't been run yet, but it's mine. That's all. You know what I do for a living, eh? <laughs> but look, I, I just wanted to talk about the election and how important it is. And I know that we should keep elections out of trial running yeah, and everything. Mate, and how sure. important it is in Aotearoa that we have our say and that every vote needs to be counted. And of course, I'm talking about the only election that matters, which is the Forest and Bird New Zealand, Forest and Birds New Zealand Bird of the Year Awards, voting for which is now open and closes on November the 15th. And for those of you who don't know, in Aotearoa New Zealand, we have no native ground dwelling Mammals, only birds and some sweet, titchy, little, small bats. Anywho, the, the, the good kind. But anywho, um, if you go to birdoftheyear.org.nz to vote and maybe donate, um, and they've changed the formula up this year, they, you can fit, pick five choices and rank them. And so I went with um, kariaria, which is native falcon, kōkako, kōtare, which is kingfisher, ruru, which is the mōpok, and the kahu, which is the harrier. Now, I didn't just go to the K section <laughs> and pick all of them. Um, but as trail runners, protecting our wild spaces is so important, and this is a fun way to learn about our native species and also to engage in a democratic process. Mm, democratic process. Those words sound so sweet right now. Yeah. Right. Results. I think I'd go for kaka. You, well, go Which to also, go to birdoftheyear.org.nz well, and vote. I was trying to think of a bird sound with K. Yeah. Rudu is a good. Anyway. Kotuku. Kotuku. Yeah. We're, sit, we're on Kotuku Point. Mm. Anyway, results. Yes, the Araki Undulator 100. So, oh, I should check this out. It's a, it's a, <laughs> so, people it's compete brutal. over three days, 100 kilometres, and it is brutal. So, it starts in the southeast of Wellington on the Eastbourne coastline it traverses uh where does it go it goes over the parangahau lakes area yeah and the orongorongo range yep and the mountainous aurangi forest park yeah and southeastern wairarapa to finish at waikuku lodge yep it's tough and it looked um i mean i don't think the conditions look that great no yeah no they say you can't beat wellington on a good day but on a bad day Yeah, you leave it alone, really. Yeah, yeah. So Greg Clark won in 12.06.48, and he, he led throughout. Uh, Aaron Whiteford was second in 12.31.53, and Joe Murphy was 12.43.57 for third. It looks like he had a blinder on, on day one, just looking at the spreadsheet. So, yeah. you know, um, and then a bit of a blowout on day two, not sure what happened, and then and then came back strong on day three. So well done to them. Uh, and the woman is Joanne Eloy, I'm sorry if I butchered that, in 14.35.52, and she's a commanding lead on day one. It looks like she never looked back. Um, Sarah Higgins in 16.35.34, and Joe Ryder in 17.38.39. And Will Cass picked up the Steve Neary Spirit Award, which is a special award commemorating a, a great, much-loved, much-missed runner. Um, Will looked after another runner on the course and embodied the spirit of the race, and it was actually it was four years Mm. To the day since Steve's passing, mm, so mm. sorely missed. Yeah, yeah. So down at Waitomo was the trail run down there. So People go off for this they race. Do. Eh? They do. Yeah. You know, um, car-studded landscapes, caves, native bush, vibrant working farms, tunnels, canyons, and glowworms. What's cast? I don't know. Studded with them. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Do you want to do that? Sure. Marcus Wellston came in first in 251.47, this in the 35k. Matthew Payne, 301.05, and Craig Newland in 325.28. And Maya Flint was the winner in the women's in 328.43. Emma Peschini, 334.37, and Maria Krukenberg, 346.40. Nice. In the 21k, it was Scott Anderson in 210.30, Craig Buddle in 213.31, and Jack Murray Griffiths in 215.01. And in the women's, Emily Sherlock, 220.24, Penny Marlowe, 234.15, and Kerry Barker, 234.15. 37. Oh, close there. Yeah, I reckon. In the 11 kilometre, there's Mark Larden, who's first in 102.57. Yep. And in the for the women, it was Tanil Kitty in 112.54. And in the 6K, the men's was Zach Wing in 28.23 and Jess Moriarty, uh, Marati. Sorry, in 30 minutes and 42 seconds won the women's. Fantastic. Yeah. Now, there's yeah. a race on this weekend that was absolutely 
has such a special place in my heart. You've done uh, this. I've done this twice, yeah. Twice? Twice, yeah. It was my first uh, ever marathon, ah. and first ever trial marathon, and yeah. is my first and only ever podium. The Tony Fire. When I did it the second time, yeah. So, And if it? I put your logic to it, I actually won the race. Wow. Yeah, I didn't, but I might have. I could have. We did. Clearly, you were robbed. Yeah. Let's go to the Supreme Court. Yeah. We can never overruled. Cool. Anyway, so where does it start and finish? So it starts... Sorry to put you on the spot. I, I know where it's, it, it starts on... I don't know where it starts. I could All tell... Right. I could show you where it's... I can picture where it starts. It's, it's between sort of Manga... It's just back from Manga Kino. Right. So it's actually 21 kilometres back from Manga Kino. Because yeah. Manga Kino is on the halfway. Ah. And you run along this beautiful trail. Yeah. Uh, to the part of the rail... Uh, not the it's road, part of the cycleway. cycleway. Yeah, it's mm. beautiful. And it's really, I think it's a lot, like a lot of total sport races, pretty underrated. Mm. You know, it's a tough run. Mm. And uh, I've done both, actually. It was my first ultramarathon, too. I did, when it was an ultramarathon, oh. I did the 60. Yeah. And it whooped the shit out of me. So <laughs> it really kicked my ass. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, awesome, awesome, awesome run. And awesome times. Jeez, uh, 42.2. The uh, first place finisher was Chris Smith uh, in 3.25.10, who was in the male veterans category over 50s. Go, dude. Ooh. Second was Mark Fisher in 3.33.15, and third was Chris Lawrence in 3.37.40. And the women's Fran Mortel, uh, 4.21.47. Leslie Park, 4.23.13, and Kate Jordan, 4.31.11. In the half marathon run, uh, Ross Mundell was 147.42, Matt Harris, 151.28, and Rodney Pulgrain was 153.08. And for the women, Gina Boone, 159.37, Andrea Bunn, 203.28, and Mel Whiting, 203.21. Oh, oh, whew, dead heat. Yeah. Did they or did, did oh, Andrea sounds... dip Mal on the line there? <laughs> Don't know. Can someone tell us? Anyway, in the 16 Let kilometers. Let us know. Uh, Lauren Shelley, first female in 118.56. and the men, it was Jamie Hall in 107.23. And in the 7K for the woman, Cara Bajant, uh, 38.41. And Cade McLaughlin, 37.37 for the men. Amazing. Wow. And I actually have really fond memories of this run as well because Rebecca and I have done it a bunch. Like, so yeah. she's done it a bunch of times as well. Nice. Um, yeah, good times, good times. Oh, cool. Very good. Greatest, Greatest run, run ever. ever. Greatest run ever. Greatest run ever, which is the part of the show where we ask you to write into us and tell us your greatest run ever. It doesn't have to be a race or a mountain summit. It might just be a run around the block um, or a narcissistically wounded delusion of grandeur. Something that's sung to you for some reason. Send it in to us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. Now, this is a conditional one. This is our first conditional one, but I'm willing to pay the price. Mm -hmm. So Lewis Mutimer mm -hmm. reached out to us and he so says... at fit underscore dad underscore two underscore 50. K, K on, on Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Now it's November in, well, everywhere, because it's November right around the world. <laughs> but <laughs> in Aotearoa, it is November, which is fundraising for men's... Health and I think it's 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 mental health, but it's a it's a wide variety oh. of, of, of men's health because clearly we don't talk about our health or, or act on our health enough. So, um, if your bro is growing a mo um, and fundraising, it's 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 a good thing. So that runs. Um, so this is his fundraiser. This is him, his fundraiser, and he wants yep. us to shout out to it. So I'm not going to read out the whole. Uh, URL. URL link, but no. we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. And for that, he said, I offer you a greatest run ever if you'll give me a shout out. So absolutely we'll we do are that. all about the bribery. Totally conditional. Send your chocolate fish in. Yes. <laughs> Wrapped. My greatest <laughs> run ever comes off the back of my first 50-kilometer ultra back in August 2019. I ran the North Range Trio, catchment ultra with my best mate, Jace. We both came into underdone and it kicked our asses big time we got it done collected the medals and enjoyed the beers afterwards but it definitely left some mental scarring there that took ages to get over fast forward to november and i'd signed up for the tarawera 50 kilometer ultra having obviously picked up the ultra bug my brain however had thus far refused to cooperate and i was definitely at a pretty low point in terms of motivation and drive one wednesday however i got home from work and something clicked no he put some bracket it wasn't my knee i grabbed my trial gear jumped in the car and drove out to my favorite local trail 
After a short drive, I arrived at the Arapoki car park and started my run up the sledge track. The weather was just right, the birds were in song, and the sense of peace was profound. I was in my happy place. Crossed the bridge up Swing Bridge Link till I hit Arapoki Road. The view was magnificent. A heavy weight seemed to lift off my shoulders then. Oh, how I've missed being out here. A nice, mostly downhill run down Arapoki Road till we got back to, till we get to backtrack, then a downhill bomb back to the car park. By that stage, I was a sweaty mess, breathing heavy, but with a smile like you wouldn't believe. It was not an easy run, being out of shape as I was, but it was one I definitely needed. It reignited my love of running. It was not a fast nor pretty run, but it was a magnificent run, and is definitely my greatest run ever. There you go. Fantastic. Thanks, Lewis. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, we will. Yep. 28th of November, I think he's doing his thing. Yep, his run. In Manawatu. So Beautiful. get along if you can uh, and check out that link. Rightio, the rest of you, look, that's all it takes. Send us a bribe. bribe. Send us your greatest run ever. Yep. Or just send us your greatest run ever. One or the other. One or the other. Yeah. Send them in. Tell us about Zoe Rome. Yeah, so Zoe Rome, she's an associate editor of Trail Runner magazine in the US, and she's hosted the DNF podcast, uh, which I really recommend. She's a trail runner. She's set a couple of FKTs this summer, including... A dangerous on, one. Yeah, on Colorado's 14er Capital Peak. Um, it's a conversation about failure. It's about whether the ability to not give up should actually be considered a talent, just as much as being fast, and about what sled, sled dog racing in Alaska can teach trail runners. So we are joined, very uh, excited about this, by Zoe Rome in the mountains of Colorado. And uh, after some time snafus, we are glad to be on the line together. Welcome to the show, Zoe. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here. It's, it's you know, between uh, a strange election and daylight savings, <laughs> it's a miracle, but here we are. Here we are. Here we are. We had to do a few countbacks, but we got there in the end. <laughs> now, so are you, I mean, the amazing podcast that you put together, DNF podcast, which I want to have a talk about and have a bit of a deep dive on, uh, yeah. it, it's, it's soon, but first of all, I mean, you, you deal with, with failure in that podcast, but I want to start by talking about success and start off by having a chat to you about Capital Peak. I saw yeah. the photos of that um. and oh my <laughs> goodness. It was, yeah, it's, it's not as scary as it looks. Um, <laughs> You're not convincing me. Time. Right. <laughs> it, it's kind of also one of the things where I feel like, you know, you can take a few steps to really minimize your risk yeah. um, as well. But yeah, so for my birthday this year, I decided to chase the FKT on Capitol Peak, which is one of Colorado's um, 14,000 foot tall piece. I don't know what that is in meters, but it's tall. Yeah. <laughs> it's a uh, one metric tall. Um, and it's, you know, it's widely recognized as one of the most difficult and dangerous peaks because it has a very significant about three mile uh, or it's like a mile and a half out and a mile and a half back, uh, class four technical climbing section in the middle of it, which, um, pretty famously also includes the knife's edge, which is like yeah. kind of a, it's a it's a nice edge with a sheer drop off on both sides um, that I I just love because I think it's very fun and when done correctly not entirely all that scary and yeah I decided that that was how I was going to spend my birthday and got got a got an FKT and so that was five five thirty seven. Was, that, mm-hmm. a, was yep. that a time that you, I mean, were you expecting that or was it, did that surprise I was, you? I was not actually. So the previous time was like 640 mm. um, for women. And I was, I thought that that was going to be really hard because yeah. uh, the last time I had run, um, the last time I had run the peak, it had taken me like nine hours. And I, I, mean, I had been going, I had been going like fun adventure pace, but I, like the idea of just, you know, knocking like, hours and hours off of an original time is just daunting right yeah. i was like well okay i definitely won't like you know i mean it's it was it was a significant portion of time so i was a little bit nervous and in fact at one point on my way back i was kind of traversing this um really challenging boulder field and i was worried that i wasn't going to make the time and then you know i finally crest like the final ridge before i can start running again and i was like oh my gosh like I'm only six miles straight downhill, like it's going to happen. And that was like one of the best feelings because like so much of the time when you're out doing these things, you're kind of like doing the math in your head. If you're like, uh, okay, 
my head or behind my head or behind, <laughs> um, which is not an exceptionally helpful form of math to be doing, but you know, like I kind of knew what my, my, my goal was to actually, I mean, had probably been to go in about around six hours and I, you know, cause I wanted to try to beat the women's record by like a significant, like a meaningful margin and yeah. I ended up beating it by over an hour, which was pretty meaningful to me. Mm. I saw your run report or one of your run reports, you described it as super runnable until it suddenly is not. I mean, as I said, looking at those photos, that's an understatement. It, it, and, and, you, and it required of you uh, a move called the power scoot. Can you describe yes. that for us? <laughs> yes, the power scoot. Um, so <laughs> more, so I, I do have a background in rock climbing and mountaineering, ah. um, particularly like trad climbing. So I, I move, I'm pretty familiar with this type of terrain and feel quite comfortable in it. Um, I've definitely seen people do the knife's edge in, scarier ways like either trying to walk across it or like do hand over hand to kind of move through the section i just end up straddling it and kind of like bear crawling <laughs> across it um just because like you're not gonna fall if you're bare. like it's like a really great way to move pretty efficiently with yeah. like almost no risk of just falling off mm. um so <laughs> and it ends up looking pretty funny i've been you know it's been in retrospect the photo that went that was like the most uh, popular after my attempt wasn't of me running or really even climbing it's of me just power scooting just totally bear crawling on yeah. this kind of silly knife's edge yeah yeah i mean and let's be clear that the danger is real you know like did i see five people died in 2017 yeah actually so a lot of people end up the problem so most people don't end up dying on the knife's edge. What happens ah. is they'll do the knife's edge and they'll sum it. And then on the way back, they'll try to go around the knife's edge, which you just can't right. do. Right. And uh, so a lot of people get tripped up trying to avoid that part rather than just trying to work through it. Huh. So it's that, yeah, the old, um, and it's often the coming down that people get in trouble in, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Mm. So why, why did you, I mean, it's been the summer of FKTs in the, in the U S and, and in Europe. Uh, and obviously part of that is because of races being canceled, but what was the reason that you decided to have a crack at one? Yeah. So I actually, I, I put down another one earlier in the summer back in, um, in May. And I really, it was my first FKT and I really enjoyed the experience of kind of just getting to like stage manage my own day. Um, I love racing, but I also love being in charge of like what trail I'm going to run on and like doing all the logistical stuff is really fun and exciting to me. Mm. I really wanted to try to put the FKT on Capitol Peak just because it is one of Colorado's highest mountains, one of the most difficult. And um, I mean, it had attracted like FKTs for some really serious men and it just hadn't gotten the same attention from like elite female athletes. And so I kind of wanted to go and, and do that and like be the first woman to like really put down like an aggressive time. Cause the original male FKT on the peak was by, uh, Anton mm. and it was beat this year by Joe Demore. Um, it was, it had been recently set by like this really amazing local runner. And I was like, man, like it needs like a, a faster, like more aggressive women's time. Like it's such an amazing peak. It just like, it deserves, and the line is so amazing and it deserves a woman's time. And, mm. you know, I think one of the cool things about 2020 is seeing a lot more people, particularly women pursue aggressive FKTs on really cool and exciting lines. And, mm. you know, I think FKTs on Colorado 14ers are always like have a pretty strong lure. And this one was just particularly intriguing to me because it's so fun and is such an interesting mix of like uh, technical scrambling and also trail running. Yeah. And the, I mean, the 14 is this summer have like you say for women, it's, it, it seems like, yeah, women have really stamped their mark on the 14 is this oh, year. Yeah. It's been so exciting to see. And I just, you know, wanted to leave my own little, little mark amongst all the other amazing women who are like just out there absolutely crushing it. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, I mean, excuse my lack of geographical knowledge, but is it, is it a peak that's near you? Is it one that you run yeah. similarly regularly or, you know, is it something you're familiar yeah, with? Yeah, I actually, so the valley below it, I run like all the time. Cause it's, I mean, it's, it's the closest 14 er to my house. Mm, right. <laughs> so, and if there's ever a time to get really into 
local FKTs it's now, right? Yeah. And I, yeah, it's, I mean, you know, convenience wise, like that was definitely a factor. It was pretty nice to like sleep in my own bed, eat breakfast at home and then eat lunch at home. Um, yeah. And it's, it, it is, it is really close to Carbondale. It's only, I mean, it's like a 30 minute drive. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so, okay. So that was part, part of the reason you chose that, that particular one. Um, did, did you train on it beforehand or did you just leave yourself fresh? Ooh, I actually, <laughs> I didn't, and I had meant to, but you know, a few, like a month or so before I actually got, um, a pretty gnarly, like pelvis injury. I had pelvic torsion, oh. so I couldn't run for a while. Yeah. And I was kind of like, Oh man, um, I don't even know how I'm going to be able to, like, I was like, I had to take several weeks totally off running and then was able to come back and run like a couple 30 mile weeks. And then I was like, well, I don't know. Like I had talked it over with my coach and he's like, Nope, we're going to go for it. It's going to be great. We'll do it on your birthday. So it'll be a celebration. Um, and he had a lot of confidence in me. And I think that that really helped me work through any kind of like fears I had. And, you know, after I had a few runs that started to feel like really, really good, I was like, Oh yeah, like this definitely feels possible. Mm. Um, I think the thing I was most nervous about is cause it is like, there's like 5,000 feet of gain throughout the day, which is not insignificant. And I was like, I'm really hopeful. I hope that I can bring my uh, downhill legs. <laughs> mm, mm, because you, yeah, you really need those. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, it, typically it's a trail that I run very frequently just because of weird scheduling things this summer. I hadn't been running up there a whole lot. Right. Um, so I kind of ran the whole thing like sight unseen and was just like, well, you know, I ran it last year, so that'll <laughs> be good enough. Yeah. Uh, it must've been, we, fascinating um as a spectator too watching those nolan's 14ers um fkt the sort of re amazing competition between megan hicks and, and sabrina stanley this summer too huh oh man such a legendary kind of like summer in terms of just watching these amazing strong women go after these like big goals and support and encourage each other and like you know get the women's time below uh 50 hours which is totally amazing and I mean, it's just like it went from, you know, there was like one person who had done it in under 60 hours to like several women have now done it. Mm. And like you just see them like taking off like bigger and bigger chunks of time, which is just the most exciting thing ever in the sport. Right. Yeah. It's like having, you know, perfecting the line and like women learning from each other and encouraging each other. It's just it's so exciting. It is so exciting. It's fantastic to see. And 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 that sort of. um yeah, like there's just no uh, hiding from the fact that it's a competition. You know, we 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 are in this together. We're we're supporting each other. You know, we we're sort of rooting for each other. But also, I want the record, and and then sort of back. No, I want the record. No, back. You know, it's, it was it was so great to see. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like that's one of the things that like I think you know sometimes maybe people misunderstand about female competition. But what that's all about is like, I mean, you know competing with and against other people is like what pushes you to be better. And so having more women go out for these big projects is like the best thing ever for the sport. Yeah. 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 And I, saw, I saw some comment from Sabrina um, and, and Camille Heron too, talking about a strange thing that they sort of felt within trail where there was sort of a, almost uh, resistance to that competition. I don't know if you saw that, but is, is that anything you felt or you know, do you, do you know what they're talking about? I will, I will say that the way that I think women talk about this and the way men talk about it feels really different to me because yeah. when I'm with my female friends, uh -huh. it feels 100% positive and encouraging. Right. And that doesn't mean that like when we race each other, that we go easy on each other. Like we really push each other. When we train, when I train with other women, they really push me Yeah. in a way that I think maybe from the outside, people might misunderstand it or if they haven't experienced it, maybe not know what it's about, but like, I think that the way that culture understands female competition gets boiled down to a lot of times unfortunate stereotypes about like cat fights and they don't understand that, you know, the, I mean, in a way that we've allowed men to compete against each other and be great, uh, not it, it, like be simultaneously great. We're just now coming to an understanding of female excellence in the same way where it's like, wow, like these women are using competition to drive each other and to push each other and like as a form of affection for each other. Mm. And I think that that, you know, unless, unless you've, I think that, and that's something that like 
previously, like as a younger athlete, I didn't fully understand either, right? Like it took a lot of time in my own confidence from moving away from like understanding competition as a zero sum game. Like, oh, if she does well, then I don't do well to understanding Mm. like a rising tide lifts all boats. And that for me to do well, I need to make sure that everyone around me is pushed hard and lifted up and encouraged in the way that I want to be. Like, I am not going to be doing my best until I'm getting everyone in my immediate circle to do their best. Like that is the only way that any person actually wins or does great at anything is if everyone else has that same space and encouragement and like time and responsibility. Wow. (laughs) Preach is what I want to say. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think, you know, when you see women who, yeah, it totally does. Mm. And I think that like one thing that's been cool is like seeing like what, you know, Sabrina Stanley has written about this is that just women are encouraged to be like, brash and bold and like brag and own their accomplishments in the same way that men are. And I think we're, we are getting closer to a space where like women can own their accomplishments and can understand that like, Oh, like instead of fighting for smaller pieces of the pie, like we're growing the pie now. Like that's the point where we're at mm. is like, there's so many more women participating and so many women participating at a high level that like, it's not up to us to try to cut the pie into smaller pieces. It's going to be up to everyone else to grow the pie for us. Mm, mm, mm. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? That, that we're in a, a, a sport which relies on our, on our, on our bodies as it were, and the, and the sort of, um, you know, the aerobic fitness and the strength and all those sorts of things. But there's lots else going on. There's, there's our, there's, you know, the, the struggles in our mind, our determination, our, our, our drive. And, and you've also talked too about imposter syndrome. And I think it's something that lots of us deal with, whether we think about it or not. Oh, totally. I think, I mean, I, I don't know a single person who's always been like, yeah, I've never questioned whether or not I belong exactly yeah. where I am. Uh, if that person exists, I would like to be your friend. Have a <laughs> Can lot they bodily confidence, you. please? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, there's a lot that we can also learn from our imposter syndrome, like, you know, investigating why it is that we all feel this way. Like, it's such a weird thing. Like, how does everyone feel that we don't belong. And I know that these things are compounded by like other circumstances such as like minority identities and, you know, just like other particular aspects to a person's life. But, you know, it is something that all of my, that I have struggled with and still do struggle with and that all of my really high achieving female peers struggle with. Mm. And, you know, like for me, the only effective way that I've been able to really work through it is to like talk about it. And the more that we understand that we're not alone in it, the less weird and scary and like bad it feels Mm. like when you know almost everyone around you is struggling with a lot of the same thoughts and feelings it makes you know those thoughts and feelings start to lose their power which is a really great thing Mm. and it also you know just doing the work like I think so many times like just developing the counter narrative like whenever my own insecurity tells me I don't belong or I'm not enough I'm like well you know I've you could check my training log or like you could, you know, you could listen to my podcast. Like I have, you know, evidence to the contrary. Um, and I think, you know, you don't want to always rely on evidence because trying to fight your own irrational feelings with rationality has limited effectiveness. But I've found that like really digging into the work, whether it's writing or podcasting or running, um, alleviates a lot of the, a lot of the pressure that imposter syndrome puts on me. Mm. Is it something that you, dealt with in the lead up to or on your FKT attempt on, on Capital Peak? And, and if so, can you sort of talk us through sort of the, the mechanics of, of how you dealt with it? Yeah. So I remember the first time I told a friend that I wanted to go for the FKT, I was so scared to tell him because I was concerned I would maybe get judged or that like, since I wasn't, you know, like the other people who had gone for the FKT were just like total, like legendary runners, like like, like Anton. <laughs> um, and I am not, I am not Anton. And I was kind of like, man, do I even like, like, what's even the point of going for this? Like, do I belong up on this mountain? Like, is it stupid of me to want to try to do it really fast? Um, and then I just came down to the conclusion that like, well, I have to try it. Right. And that like, ultimately, you know, the mountain can be the arbiter of am I, or am I not good enough? And I shouldn't let my own brain or let other people make that decision when like, you know, I could, figured out myself. And 
yeah, it was really scary for me. And even now, like I, you know, I sometimes struggle to own that accomplishment, but I'm, you know, I'm getting better at it. (laughs) Um, but I mean, it, you know, it's, it, it, it did take a while just because like, I didn't want people to compare me and I didn't want to compare myself to like previous performances on the mountain um, too much. And I didn't want to like, feel like I was going to come up short no matter what. And that was something I really struggled with initially. It was like, man, I just know that like, whatever time I get is going to be a lot slower than the men's time. And for some reason that kind of bothered me. Like it was a way that like, I think my brain like always kind of finds a way to put an asterisk next to my accomplishments and be like, yeah, but like, you're not that great. (laughs) Um, So still working through it, but I think it was just like telling other people and having them be like, oh yeah, no, you should totally go for it. Um, And then just like committing to the training. Like even when I had moments of doubt, anytime I trained really hard, like the first time I did, um, I did like two hill workouts to prepare and both of those workouts felt awesome. And I was like in a great place mentally and felt super locked in and super just like ready, um, to crush. And I think those were the moments where I was like, okay, yeah, I need to channel this instead of like, instead of the weird questions that are always going to be there in the back of my head. Like I need to channel the confidence that I can earn through like actually putting in the work and like really, you know, choosing, to, to, to be that side of myself. Mm. It's a weird, it's a weird thing, isn't it? That, that choosing, as you say, we, we do have a choice in, in our mentality, in our outlook, but we often kind of forget that. Totally. And I think, you know, it can be super easy just because, you know, I mean, I think a, you do have to give yourself a choice. Like if you, uh, you know, try to make up for lack of preparation with like pure self-belief, then like, that's maybe not the best, most productive choice. Um, but if you, you know, put in the work and then you choose to believe in the work you've put in then like, Hey, I don't know. That's like more or less all the preparation I've brought into anything I've ever done. It's turned out pretty good so far, but I think, you know, it's giving yourself every opportunity to believe in yourself. Like, you know, do the mental work to try to dismantle any like non-helpful, unhelpful narratives you have about yourself and then shore it up with like a lot of consistent work over years and years and years. Mm. Can we talk about DNF? And the DNF podcast, yeah. and uh, which I love, and I love the narrative approach that you take, and I love the the context in which you put people's stories. Um, I'm interested in why you focused on on failure. Yeah, so I originally I wanted to make a podcast that was different than a lot of other podcasts. Like I, going in, I knew I wanted to make a storytelling podcast. And as I started listening to a lot of other running podcasts and kind of doing market research, I realized they were mostly about like winning and like what people did that like went really great and good in their lives. And I was like, that's kind of boring. Like I want to make something that's a stands out and B is just like different and like more meaningful, maybe more resonant with people just because you spend the majority of your life not winning things, right? Like not setting FKTs, not winning races, not, you know, just win, win, win. Like a lot of the time that you're just part, so much of being a person is just sitting with like a lot of those kind of like gray area failures that like maybe just haven't turned, turned into wins just yet. And like processing them and trying to figure out where the lesson is, if there is one. And I just wanted to make a podcast that was a little more nuanced and interesting and just like felt a bit more human than just like having people come on and be like, so how was winning uh, UTMB or, or whatever? Uh, uh, uh. You, I think it was the Wormsley episode where you talked about um, people are an iceberg of failure. And when I, when I heard that first, I was like, huh, what do you mean? But, but the way you explained it was, was great that beneath the success that you see is everything that they've taken to get there and often that's failure not quite making it or 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 falling down or falling short yeah I think you know I remember actually that came out of a discussion I was having with my cousin who's a writer years and years ago and she was like oh yeah it's you know people only ever see the tip of the iceberg but under the surface there's like thousands of rejection emails and like you know bad jobs as a barista at a cafe and just like years and years and years of 
really hard stuff and rejection and failure and loss and all these things. But like the story never focuses on that. And so I wanted to have a story that focused on that a bit more in a way that made it feel a bit more like, you know, not to like overly dwell or fixate on failure, but in a way that just felt more like this is how human life feels to me, which is that it's not always about the victory. It's about like the process of getting there. And it's about how the only reason successes happen is because of all these hard things. And I think a big part of my process for like getting where I am has been to like retrain myself to not just see success as like, Oh, that person has just been like winning, winning, winning from day one. But to be like, man, like when I see that person on the podium, there's got to have been a lot of really bad workouts and like hard days and long runs that didn't happen. And like races that didn't go the way they planned and like injuries and heartbreak. And, you know, as a writer and creative, like whenever I see other people really succeed, I'm like, it gives me a lot more sensitivity to approach their work and be like, okay, what I'm interacting with, like if I'm reading a book or an article, this is just, you know, 1% of 1% of the work in the, you know, any given output of this person's career. Like there's so much more that goes on, beyond the surface. And, you know, if I can just continue to accumulate work and like do work and get failure or experience failure and get rejected and just keep kind of grinding through, then like I too can have some really meaningful, fulfilling outcomes that I'm looking for. Uh, uh. And the, the, the Wormsley episode, Jim Wormsley episode, and of course, you know, as you said, you know, said in the show, we all, we all talk about his, his successes, but he'd had those knockbacks. He'd had those, that, re, that rejection and that, and that failure and the shame that came with that failure. But still, I, I kept having that image after the episode, I kept having the image of him sitting in the library when he's trying to rebuild his career, as it were, sending off emails to the sports shoe companies and getting rejected time and time again. But something within him kept him going, kept him trying not everyone has that. Yeah, that's true. And I think that, you know, I think that maybe we all like our baseline tolerances for failure and rejection might be different. But for me in understanding the fact that like Jim Wamsley had to use a borrowed computer to email shoe companies to get rejection letters, you know, like that gives me a lot more self-compassion. Like that gives me a lot more room to be like, okay, I need to not be hard on myself when I stall out in my career and when I get rejected. And I want to make something that for everyone else, they can approach it with kind of the same thinking. And they can also be like, okay, like if Jim Wamsley can experience these like setbacks and these rejections, then like I can too. And maybe I can also end up somewhere amazing. And like the only difference is that like one of us is going to keep going, right? Like the, you know, not that Jim's not great because he is truly one of the greatest athletes, but he became one of the greatest athletes because he decided to, and he just kept working, right? Like there totally could have, he, I'm sure there's some other guy somewhere else who got, you know, was a great athlete, worked hard, got tired of rejection emails and just bagged it and did something else. You know, like, I think that that's, you know, that's an equally likely outcome. The difference is the mindset of the person who lets themselves sit there and keep working and says, all right, today's a rejection, but like, I don't know, maybe I'll go run Western States anyway. Like, I don't, I'm not going to wait around or the person that says like, I'll try again tomorrow. Like the only difference between a successful person and a person who is not yet successful is that you just have to keep going. Yeah. I don't think that there's that much difference person to person. Like talent, I think is grossly overrated, but I think that, you know, if, if this, if people take anything away from the podcast, it's that whenever like horrendous life failure happens to you, that like you should get really excited because it means that something amazing is going to happen at some point in Mm. the future. It could become the spur that, that gets you to where you want to go. Exactly. Yeah. So why storytelling? How did, how did it become, how did you get into that? Was that something you always wanted to do? Yeah. So I originally, before I moved, before I started working at Trail Runner Magazine, I worked at Aspen Public Radio, which is a member station of NPR, NPR. National Public mm-hmm. Radio. And uh, they obviously have like a huge vested interest in these like kind of longer format storytelling podcasts. Um, and I used to work on a podcast for Montana Public Radio called Threshold, which was a long form environmental storytelling podcast. 
And I've always just loved that when you, I think people connect with the story way, way more when you're able to like, just lay it out for them and then emphasize what you're trying to say with cool, um, you know, like with sound engineering and like manipulate how things feel and sound with like music or creative editing. And I think that it just, it's a more fun for me as a creator, but like when I listen to podcasts, like that's what I love to listen to. And I always felt like there was a gap in the world of like sports podcasts of like high quality, like really good sports podcasts. Mm. So ultimately what DNF was, was like me creating the podcast that I wanted to listen to that just didn't exist yet. Cause I was like, man, I wish there was like an NPR quality storytelling podcast about endurance sports. That was like, highly emotive. Uh, uh, <laughs> so I just, I just made it. Uh, you, you once worked as a sled dog reporter in rural Alaska. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For a while I, um, <clears throat> yeah, I was in grad school in Boulder and I was, you know, I was very interested in broadcast journalism and radio journalism. And so I just kind of left grad school to move up to Fairbanks, Alaska to follow sled dogs around <laughs> for a few months. Um, so people in Alaska love sled dog racing so yeah. much that like literally my only job was to make four to five minutes of radio a day about sled dogs. It was the best job ever. <laughs> really? Like I went from like, once again, I'm from Arkansas. Like I am not from the Arctic. I have very like, my awareness of sled dog racing was like the Balto movie from my childhood. And that was it. So I moved up to Alaska and immediately got like a crash course in this like very insular and very niche and like very enthusiastic community of sled dog racers. And they take it so seriously. Like it reminds me of like, like honestly, Tour de France cyclists is like the only thing that I've seen that compares. Like the way that they treat these dogs and how seriously they take competition is unlike anything I have ever, ever seen. And it was amazing to go from having like zero knowledge about sled dog racing to like at the end of my assignment, I was helping, I was working on the Iditapod podcast out of Alaska public media. Um, I was like, like I had very strong opinions about like what was going on. Um, And I just got like so immersed in this world that was like so crazy and different. And it was, it was a really amazing time. Like, I was, you know, I had like minimal amounts of, like, I got just enough internet access every day to try to like, uh, file my report and like file my radio spots and fire file my radio features. And I would just spend the rest of the day tracking these, uh, sled dogs and like talking to the mushers and like (laughs) learning about the sport and taking hitchhiking on bush planes from like in the, in the Yukon territories. It was, it was a very, it was a very interesting time in my life yeah wow that's fascinating and i mean the the hardships that they go through are extraordinary talk about yeah things that might spur you on the, the, the what those sled dog races put themselves through is just mind-blowing oh my god a study I, in like, humanity for sure oh oh my gosh those people are so like i have just never melt met no ultra runner I've ever met is like one tenth as tough as just like the average musher because like these people are out there for days and days and days and yeah. they are only eating like super weird food and they're taking such amazing care of their animals and they're like not sleeping for days. Like anything like these people would look at Courtney DeWalter and be like, Oh yeah, that's cool. <laughs> but like I do that when it's, you know, 35 below. So like, and they're super athletic. Like these people train to like, they'll ride on the sleds. And so they'll like, sometimes they'll run with the sled to stay warm or they're pull, they'll pull with the sled. Um, and so they're super fit. I mean, some of them are like the people that come in like DFL are, you know, there's, there's mid packers and sled dog racing as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, there are people that do it for a living and it, it's just so crazy. And these dogs are like just the best athletes I've ever seen. And these people spend nights and nights and nights without like any sleep, just out there, like all the time taking care of their dogs in just grueling temperatures. I don't think I know anyone that raced that didn't get frostbite. And oh man, wow. it was crazy. It's <laughs> <laughs> totally crazy. And, and for yourself, so you, you found running in the Ozark mountains. 
I read. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how, how did that come about? So I was not a very athletic kid, just wasn't into it, liked books, like did, I was into just reading and watching movies. Um, and then in high school, I played volleyball, but was pretty terrible at it. Um, so I ran a bit to see if like, oh, maybe I can get better volleyball if I'm like fitter. Um, and I tried out for the cross country team and they were like, well, no, you're good at jumping, but like running is not really your thing. <laughs> um, but I kept with it for years and eventually like I, when I was in college, I started trail running and the first ever trail race I entered, I ended up winning and coming in the top five overall. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like this is fine. Like road running is just okay. But like, if I can go rip mountain bike trails, like that's awesome. Like I fell so many times. I got like so cut up and bruised and bloody. And I had to go to a friend's wedding right after. And I was like, still like my knees just like bled through my dress <sighs> because I was like so cut up <laughs> and just looked like totally deranged and like was pulling twigs out of my hair all day. And I was like, this is the absolute, this is the best way to spend one's time ever. You must have and, felt pretty badass at that wedding. Oh, I totally did. <laughs> the Bryce family was like, who's your friend? Uh, um, and so that same year I decided to sign up for my first ultra. Cause I was like, well, you know, trail trail races are cool, but I would love to do one. That's like, ultra like I feel like that's something I'll be good at because I'm not particularly fast but I can definitely resist quitting for long periods of time so I signed up for my first 50k and won that and then came back the second year and won again and then moved to Boulder and was like man I want to see how good I can get at trail running and just being introduced to the trail running scene there and seeing people there just take it to a whole nother level and I was just like oh yeah these are my people like they get it <laughs> mm. that's an interesting thing you said that you're not fast but you're good at not quitting and that's uh, yeah it's something we don't give much credit to in our society yeah, <laughs> but it's so totally. important yeah and I feel like you know that was like kind of if I have any talent in this world it's that I'm pretty good at not stopping and I'm really good at eating while running and so oh, much of my training I'm has, sorry. oh, I know. Right. Like I had no, I like when I was first getting into running, when I was like, when other people would complain about how bad goos were and I was like, oh, not bad at all. Um, I could probably eat like a hoagie in the middle of a marathon and just be fine. Um, but you know, I just started seeing like, how far can I, how far can I take that? And I think a lot of my training now has been a lot more focused on the like, okay, like mentally you're pretty tough. Like you're pretty good at not quitting. So like now let's see if we can get the speed portion to meet your mental ability in the middle. Mm. Why do you think you're not, you're good at not quitting? Um, I think that, you know, once again, like having not been a great athlete, I was like on the volleyball team or like, you know, being told that I wasn't good enough for cross country. I was kind of, just like it was always the way that I was able to achieve anything was not by necessarily being the best, but by showing up the most amount of times over mm -hmm. years. Um, you know, I was like a super hard worker. And I think that whenever I did have like results, which weren't many, <laughs> I was like, okay, like I totally get that this came not from like innate talent. This came from my ability to like, you know, dig in and do the work and to just like not to not give up whether that's like in any particular race or if it's you know being told that I wasn't good enough to run Christ high school cross country and just being like all right well I guess I'll keep running anyway uh. I think that not conditioning myself early on to not expect rewards <laughs> was uh was a big part of that mm. it's interesting you said you're not innately talented but uh, but I think having that mental toughness and that uh, determination is in itself a talent. Yeah. And I think that, well, one of the things that I think is great about mental toughness and determination is they're highly trainable. Um, you know, I don't know how tough I was born. I was, I'm not, I don't think of myself as like an exceptionally tough person, but I do try to give myself every chance to become tougher. Mm. Like I don't particularly like being cold in my own home or like, even eating food that's too hot. So I'm not like crazy 
tough or like resilient. I just, you know, find specific ways to try to train, train those things. Like every time I do a workout that's hard, I use that as an opportunity to like practice having grit or in one of, you know, this is another, like one of the other reasons I really was inspired to create DNF is that like in life, once again, like I was never necessarily like the smartest person or like the best at school, but I worked super hard. And I think that, you know, just not quitting and just being like, okay, like the result isn't what I wanted it to be this time, but like, I'll show up again the next day and I'll show up the next day. And like, I'll show up the next day. And like, maybe I'll get that result one day. Maybe I won't, but if I don't keep showing up, then I'm minimizing my chances of getting that thing that I really, really Hmm. want. And so I think that like, you know, I think that almost everything that we think is maybe like, I just, I think all these things are a lot more trainable than culturally we like to think they are because Uh I don't think I was, I'm not like a tough kid. Um, I I don't, you know, I, I think I try to be tough in the ways that are important for me to be tough. And I try to specifically cultivate those things. And, you know, the more that we can like all move our conception of like, Oh, maybe I'm not special. I'm just good at practicing things. Um, and like understanding that, the way to get better at things is to believe that you can get better at them. So I think a lot of people, you know, if they don't think they're tough, then maybe they're limiting themselves or, mm-hmm. you know, like I think I, I did happen to come into the sport believing that my innate talent was toughness when maybe the talent was just my ability to tell myself I was tough. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's, that's just, you know, one of those really nifty stories I like to tell myself that's been pretty, uh, useful so far yeah 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 it's yeah the stories we tell ourselves is is so important isn't it but look what what does the rest of this year hold for you i I mean i guess you guys are going into winter aren't you so um there won't be much even if there wasn't a pandemic there wouldn't be much on the racing calendar (laughs) anyway but but how do you you know what what are you thinking of for for the next few months yeah i'm actually super excited to train i love training um, you know, hard worker loves hard work <laughs> and I mean, winter is fun. So I can strap on, I can do some skis and some like fun, like indoor cycling, like focus a little bit more on cross training instead of just spending like eight hour days on the trail. Um, so I love, I love that. I love the seasonality of training. I'm looking to run a 100 miler next year. So, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like, let's get to work. Let's start training yesterday. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so is it so where, where you live, it does get very cold and snowy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So does that mean no running at all outside at no. least? No. I mean, I still, I run, I still run like 60 miles a week, but it's all on the road. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I have zero tolerance for like slogging in the snow. That's one of the ways in which I am not mentally tough. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't learn anything from those, those sled dog mushes. <laughs> no, I mean, I tried to run when I lived in Alaska and I was just like, screw this. Nope. It's like, I, I mean, you couldn't use headphones. Like it was dangerous to use headphones because it right. would like blister your skin because it was so cold. And I was like, nah. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. For a while I stayed at a hotel and like ran on the treadmill a bit. But other than that, I would just kind of walk around a lot. Like I would try to get my daily step count in just like walking around. <laughs> You, you do what you got to do. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hey Zoe, it's been so great to talk to you. I really, really appreciate it. We do need to ask yeah. you one more question that we ask yeah. everyone who comes on the show. Absolutely. Zoe Rome, what is your greatest run ever? doesn't have to be a race, just a run that mm. really sticks in your mind as like, yeah, that run really is special to me. Yeah. Um, I went on a run this summer with my partner in Telluride that was really awesome. It was a run that like a few years ago I had been very intimidated to even try just because it was kind of long and like steep. Um, And we just like spent the whole day chatting and, you know, like we both, we both work quite a bit. So we don't always get to spend, um, you know, hours and hours just talking while running around. Um, and that's just like my ideal day. And it started and ended at the pizza restaurant in Telluride. <laughs> so that was like being able to just end a run and then within like minutes be served a hot pizza is the best thing I can ever imagine. <laughs> and just get to like spend almost all day in the Alpine is just amazing. And with your partner as well. So you get to spend time together. Yeah. 
exactly. Yeah. Like seven hours. It was not a short run. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Lots of power hiking. <laughs> Well, the, the pizza at the end sounds pretty good too, but um, that sounds like a really special run. Look, thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much, Eugene. It was so great to chat. I did a rod, eh? Nothing to Yeah. Watch uh, the, um, the Netflix documentary about... Losers. I think it might be called Losers. Yeah. And there's a, an episode. Huh. I did it right. It's really good. Anyway, what a conversation. <laughs> there's a race in the US, and I can't remember where it is, but it's called the Arrowhead 135. Ah. 135 miles, and it's mm. in the middle of winter in the snow, and you can mm. either ski it, fat bike it, or run it, and that is something that's... And they carry... They yeah. have like... They've um, got sledges. 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 Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough country up there. That's tough right. country up there. You know, as Zoe said, you know, very few people in the world can look at Courtney DeWalter and go, oh, yeah. That's mm. cute. That's cute. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much for that conversation, Zoe, and thank you to all of you for tuning in. You can find us on social media at Dirt Church Radio or you can email dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. And you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. And you can download direct from the website, which is dirtchurchradio.com. Also, if we're not where you want us, let us know. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us. If you like what you see, spread the love. It would be great as if many people heard the show as possible. And for that, we need your help. Don't forget to write in with your greatest friend ever. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you to our sponsor Scott Running, Further Faster, Spring Energy, Sierra, and thank you to our Patreon sponsors, supporters. Patrons. Patrons, yep. And to Wild Things. To Wild Things. Yeah. Thank you to our editor Kieran and we've got a really lovely guest lined up for next week so tune in then. Good. And don't forget too to arrange yourself to be able to get to our live show at Kepler. Kepler. Yep. I think it's going to be 4.30. And like we'll the more details Fjordland Crayfish Room. Yeah. That's actually what it's called. Yeah. Anyway, Kakite. Kakite. Thanks, Rigby. <laughs>